I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. ordination paper writing and I have a gift with me who is my best friend uh, Chelsea Morse uh, and Chelsea uh, long after after I discerned a call into ministry um, discerned a call into ministry too and so she is halfway through seminary at Union Presbyterian uh, in Richmond and so would you greet her with the love and peace of Christ this morning as she comes forward thank you Michelle 
I have to say, I'm, I'm just so happy to be here with you all today. Um, I have been watching uh, patiently and uh, obediently alongside Michelle um, as she has been journeying with you on the relaunch of Kingstown Commun uh, Communion. Excuse me. And what's great is Michelle is one of my longest standing friends. So I figured instead of giving you a sermon about Advent, I'd just tell you stories about Michelle, uh, which uh, I figured, but <laughs> I actually can't do that because she has way worse stories about me, and we have a coveted promise and friendship that we will keep those under wraps as long as we are in this position in the pulpit. Uh, but truly, I have watched you guys grow and have been uh, Michelle's biggest fan, and I hope all of you truly, truly know what a gift you have as her, as your pastor. And I'm not just saying that as one of her longstanding friends. I really do know her heart and know how much she cares about each and every one of you in the mission of this church. And she has big plans. Um, and on behalf of God and the power uh, that he has laid on us, I know that you guys are going to do great things together. So again, I'm just happy to be here, and especially in this Advent season and just to give you, she gave you a brief tutorial. My husband here is with me. I have a three-year-old son. I'm expecting another in May. And so this season of Advent is especially interesting for me, walking in the way of understanding anticipation and what that looks like in this day and age. And I just, I can't help but um, just be very blessed by the scripture I've been given today to give to you. But before we get started, let us start with a word of prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord. May your words come through this message so that those that need to hear it, that it may touch their heart. In your name we pray. Amen. So it occurred to me while I was reading our scripture for today and preparing for today's message that, you know, the world really does love a good underdog story. You know, our culture is littered with them, from Rocky to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, I'm going to bring a little Santa Christmas in here for a second. The story of the wobbly reindeer who thought that he was born different and couldn't understand why he couldn't be like the others until he realized that his abnormality or uniqueness could be used for something special, a mission intended only for him to lead Santa's sleigh and light the way on Christmas Eve. In some ways, I know this is blasphemous, but Rudolph could have been like a, a version of John the Baptist, you could say. But, you know, I, I think our creator, God, loves a good underdog story the most. You know, throughout our biblical written history, the goats are the greatest of all time. Star players in the Bible are always ordinary people tasked to do extraordinary things. Now, sometimes these people are the runts of the litter, the ones like Moses with the speech impediments that are charged with leading a people out of slavery. Others are great figures who fall short on the task that they were expected to be great at, but are humble enough to accept when they are wrong and to seek help from the Lord for the right answer. You know, every person in this world has a godly mission. The greats in the Bible are not the only ones who are tasked to fulfill God's work in the world. You know, some tasks may be small, others may be incredibly difficult, 
like raising children. <laughs> but God expects us all to respond to the call when we get it, without fear or even some second guessing. Now, however, some of us will never even get that memo. A good majority of us will never reach the full potential that God has in store for us because we are held back by our own fears and hang-ups on reality. For those of you who don't know the backstory to the scripture that we just read, which is likely most of us in this room, but I'm pretty sure that you can quote Santa's reindeer in order and by heart like I can, um, but that's another story for another message. Now, Zechariah in our scripture was, like she said, admiring the birth of his son, John, who would later be known as John the Baptist. And in this moment, he had a lot to say because it is after he had been forced into nine months of silence. And like, like most beaming new parents, he was in awe of this child, not only because it was the child he and his wife had prayed for after many, many years, but that this child was special, like all of our children. He was going to be a real trailblazer, though. This child would be filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed to prepare the way for the long-awaited Savior to come into this world. Spoiler alert, that Savior is Jesus, in case you were wondering. Uh, but Zechariah was so consumed by the holiness of this moment that he began to sing in a prophetic voice words that were not his own in order to praise God and share with others that the time had come for a Savior to be born. God would fulfill the covenant made to their ancestors and they would be redeemed from their oppressors once and for all. All this would be completed through an innocent, vulnerable vessel, a child. Now here in this moment, we see a faithful response from Zechariah. He has seen the light and is fully proclaiming the good news of our God. But this was only after he miserably failed the first test of faithfulness 101, when he encountered the word of the Lord in real time. Now, I guess you could say that this was his OG version of redemption song, but I think in order for you to fully get the relevance of the prophecy, we should hear the preceding verses from 13 through 20 for you to get the full story. So to give you some lead in, Zechariah was a priest. He was at the temple to perform his annual priestly duties and was selected to put the incense on the altar. Now, Zechariah, for some reason, is left alone in the back of the temple, which is considered the holiest part of the area, and he sees an angel sitting at the right hand of the altar. Now, Zechariah is terrified because, well, angels have been described as, I don't know, faceless beams of light and have generally been connected with, well, um, either death or great messengers sent by God delivering untimely news. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son and you must name him John. This is verse 14. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. 
Now he must not drink wine or liquor. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that John was going to be a big deal. Now, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are really old. Now, the angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Now, I think it's ironic and kind of funny that the angel Gabriel says, do not be afraid mere seconds before he strikes Zechariah mute for nine months. <laughs> and what's interesting about this phrase in Greek, mephobu, which, hey, I, I'm sorry, but I have been suffering, I mean, studying the syntax and grammar of biblical Greek for the last year, so I'm going to show it off somewhere. So, <laughs> where was I? Yes, phobu. Um, it is the root of the word phobia. And it is described as well exactly what you would think fear would mean. The feeling of needing to escape from or avoid an event because of a threat. Now it's one of the most used phrases in the Bible and intended to comfort people whose instinct would understandably be to run when they see things that are not normal. Events like, uh, I don't know, God speaking through burning shrubbery, uh, Jesus walking on water in a storm, angels appearing in dark tombs, which I can only imagine wearing something like an Elton John-like bedazzled robe. You know, just, just name a couple. So when the angel appears, it's understandable that a person may be afraid for their life. However, that is the difference between trusting the word of the Lord up here and right here. Now remember, Zachariah was a priest. He came from a great family, married a preacher's kid. His name in Hebrew literally means God remembers. He had everything going for him. The scripture emphasizes that the couple were practically perfect, yet they were barren. And I'm sure Zachariah thought, well, has God forgot about me? But yet, when God actually remembers him, as his name implies, and he hears that this beautiful blessing in the form of a child will come from above, and his, and his child will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that he still cannot trust the words that he is hearing. All he can focus on is that is impossible. Yeah, Zechariah. That is humanly impossible. But with God? How many times have you heard a story, especially a biblical story, and immediately became a critic when it comes to the prophetic signs and miracles? Huh. He healed a blind man? Yeah, right. That's not possible. Why doesn't that happen in today's world if that can happen? Why don't we see that in real life? How many shiver when I even say the word prophecy? Kind of sounds like sorcery, which 
a lot of you who might be Harry Potter fans might actually be okay with sorcery. Well, let me think of a better word. Hold on, no. It sounds too evangelical. <gasps> now, how many times have we tried to rationalize miracles in order to control how mesmerized we allow ourselves to be? Are we keeping ourselves at arm's length in fear of being disappointed again by the realities of life? The story of Zachariah and Elizabeth is in our eyes scientifically impossible. And they were in their upper 80s when they found out they had even conceived. And again, our perspective as humans, impossible. But with God, the reality is that anything is possible. Now, Zachariah's human perspective could not see the blessings that were being handed to him after years of unanswered prayers and agonizing over not being able to conceive a child. He was stuck at, that's not possible. And all of his priestly training went out the window and he could no longer remember the God that he had taught about and, and what was written about in Genesis that could create the highest heavens and the most microscopic creatures all in the same breath all in a day's work. Was he held back from believing because of fear of the unknown? When all was said and done, the true test of faith was right in front of him. Did he only trust God with his head knowledge, but not with his full heart? Now, have there been days when you have failed to trust God with your full heart? Days when you let fear of failure or the sin of being too comfortable get in the way of the mission you know that you need to follow no matter how uncomfortable it may be. Sure, you show up here on Sundays. You know the Lord's Prayer and can recite it front to back. You take communion. But when the real test of faith is presented to you, do you know how to fully submit to the mission and purpose God has for you? And when you are faced with struggle after struggle, year after year, and you see others succeeding and going above and beyond, and you say, why not me? Do you have the trust in your heart to know that God is carrying you to the promised land in God's time? And know that even though you feel stuck and in the thick of the wilderness, that God is still leading you walking beside you? And do you have what it takes to use the good news as your compass and your map to get you through the hardest seasons of your journey? You know, trusting God with my whole heart is not something I am just preaching about. It has been something that I have had to and continue to live through. For me, it was leaving my career in real estate, and pursuing the long and dedicated path towards full-time ordained ministry. Now, in seminary, you spend a lot of time doing analysis on your story and yourself. And after some analysis, I can see that I heard a nudge or a call to ministry in my early years, even when I was a teenager. But like most people, I avoided it. I had so many different names for this thing that I could see in the distance. You know, like I said, Michelle has known me 
since I was a teenager, and I would tell friends that I wanted to be a motivational speaker or an inspirational coach. I wanted to inspire others and help them find fulfillment in life. And looking back on that now, I can see the themes of pastoral ministry, but then (laughs) I couldn't see what God had in store. I didn't even know if I wanted that life. I can only see a narrow view of what I thought was possible for me. First of all, I did not think that I was good enough, both in reverence or skill, to even be a pastor. I have made mistakes in my coming-of-age years. I have said things I would be ashamed to admit at the pulpit. And I liked making money, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) And I am still working on myself and that love, and moving onward to what we Methodists like to call perfection. Now, this isn't like that type A OCD thought that you have when you hear the word perfectionist. Um, It's actually more moving on towards perfection as seeking completeness, seeking wholeness in the love of God through Jesus Christ. It's a process, people. And you may never even reach that that in this lifetime. That's the understanding. Now, for me, it was not until I could accept that I was good enough, just as I am, without any mass or bells and whistles added, that I was able to accept the plan that God had for me, that God had for the imperfect version of myself to share my stories with others. I thought I had to have everything figured out before I even got started. I thought I had to have the plan already masked out. And God's joke is that, We're figuring it out as we go. At least I am. I know that God has a bigger end goal in mind, but we're walking alongside. Once I realized this, the fears about leaving my lucrative career to starting over again, to going back to graduate school for three years, to committing to this, Michelle mentioned that she's writing her her, um, ordination papers. I mean, this is a process that takes about six years of dedication. Most people, when they spend seven years in schooling and work, are coming out with doctor, (laughs) they're coming out as doctors and making six-figure incomes, you know what I mean? And so we're coming out um, knowing that we have the peace of Christ with us after that amount of time and dedication that it takes. So I just realized that I had the potential to be a part of transforming the world for good by serving Jesus Christ, by using my gifts to love others, to teach them the good news that they are too loved in the eyes of God just as they are in all ways that they are made. That was my purpose. And in a world full of chaos, I wanted to share the good news of Christ so that they too may find peace in this rat race called life. So what is your heart longing for and anticipating this Advent season? What answers are you needing in order to have peace in your heart? Where are the areas that you feel that you have held back from fully trusting God's plan for your life? Is it starting that business that you've been thinking about? Is it making a career change to benefit your family? Perhaps it's going forward with that adoption, fostering, or infertility process that in order to help add to your family. Or maybe it's simply asking God to give you a purpose at all, to make you realize your full potential. 
And that to understand that the love that God has for you, that you may have felt absent for a very long time due to loss or other circumstances. How can God use silence and waiting in your life to help you understand that God is at work even when it is incomprehensible? Now, as we make our way back to the text, our old friend Zachariah, remember he's mute by the angel Gabriel, and he's sent back home after he completes his priestly duties. And in the meantime, Elizabeth is pregnant with John, and we meet Mary, um, which is Elizabeth's cousin. And Zachariah is silent, and you'll read these texts in the next couple weeks, but he is watching this dialogue happen between these two women. He is literally seeing the Holy Spirit at work. Oh my goodness, he says, the Lord is coming. The Savior of the world is coming, the one that God promised to the prophets. The time has come for the Jewish people are to be rescued from their fears and being conquered by our enemies and to be free to live as people no longer oppressed by their adversaries. Nine months Zechariah had to realize this and keep it to himself and consider and contemplate and think and watch this all while God is working in his midst. Now, as the text read that we read earlier, time came for the baby to be born. It's a big day for John. He's getting circumcised. And when, it, when the time came, when they asked him, <laughs> when the day came to ask him, what is your name going to be? What is, this, what is this child's name going to be? Elizabeth somehow knows that it's going to be John, even though Zachariah has been mute. That's a miracle in and of itself. And when the neighbors nosily go over to, to Zachariah and say, did you hear what your crazy wife is going to name your only son? Or she is not going to name it after you. What do you want to name your son? And John writes on a tablet, a stone one, not an apple, and says his name is John. And it was at that moment that his jaw was loosened and he could speak. And here is where we began our lesson with the prophecy of Zechariah's song, his redemption song. His tongue is loosened for the first time in nine months, and all he can do is sing God's praises, announcing to the village that the time in the darkness is over, for their dawn has come through Jesus, who will be the lamp to their feet, leading them in the path of peace. This is how Luke starts his story of the birth of Christ, and it is our first episode in the Advent series. But where does that leave us? Where does that leave us when we hear this prophetic song that Jesus will release us from our sins and fears, but yet we feel like we are still waiting to be released from our sins and fears in 2018? The other night I was watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special with my son, and I had forgot the beginning of the prologue where uh, Charlie Brown is sitting with Linus on that, you know, infamous brick wall. And he says, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I know, I like presents and I like Christmas, but I'm just, I'm just not happy. I mean, I guess I just don't even understand Christmas. You know, I like decorating the tree and getting Christmas cards, but I'm still not happy. I end up just being depressed. And Linus retorts, Charlie Brown you're the only person that can take a great season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy is right. If there, as long as there's Charlie Browns in the world, you're always going to go and Charlie Brown it. How much? I mean, I think there's a lot more people that actually feel like Charlie Brown than Linus. 
The Christmas season is not an easy time of year for a lot of people. Not to mention 2018 has just been a really tough year. From the violent shootings and the massacres, and only in places of business, our schools, our houses of worship, the hostile political climate, to the massive natural disasters and hurricanes, to the fires this fall with people still missing. And that's just what's happened on the national stage. I'm sure there have been deaths, broken relationships, issues with finances that plague our own personal lives. And yet this time of year, we're just expected to put it all behind us, put on a good face for the sake of the season. Don't Charlie Brown us. Don't be sad. That's what our Advent series is, right? This is the time where you're patiently waiting. Get excited. The Lord is coming. You know, I understand why it's easy to feel a little bit disconnected from the holiday cheer and even for the hope that comes sometimes. Because we're just expected to have this level of hype because of what's projected to us on social media. But I have to tell you guys, there is good news. There is good news in the message of Jesus Christ. Luther Smith, who's a professor at Candler, um, which is a seminary down in Georgia, he puts it this way. The Gospel of Luke does not convey the Advent story as the world falling apart. But instead it communicates that when the sun, moon, and stars spin out of control and the oceans rise and the rivers overflow the land, the redemption, our redemption, is coming near. And when we focus on the ways that the world is overcome with grief and fear rhetoric, it is easy to join the world and put our heads in the sand. Despair would certainly overwhelm us if we focused only on the sins and failures that corrupt our world. Hopelessness would overcome us if we only saw our limited skills and resources as the only sources for change. But here's the thing, beloved brothers and sisters. We are not... Listen, write this down if you have a pen. We are not called to take on the whole world. It's already been done for us. Fear does not need to overtake us and overwhelm us to the point of being afraid to do anything. We are not expected to do it all, and we are definitely not expected to do it alone. We believe in a Savior we believe in the Savior that Zechariah proclaimed in his prophetic song that has come in the form of human flesh, in the form of a small baby, to take on the world for the sake of it. Despite the evil that exists within it, the Savior has come to be the new dawn, to shine a light on those that are stuck in the shadow of death that cannot see the silver lining. Our mission as a body of Christ, is to use the Savior's story as a beacon of light for those who cannot see a way out. In this season of Advent, when the world wants to put their heads in the sand and fear the end like Chicken Little running around thinking that the world and the sky is falling, we remain confident in our waiting, knowing that redemption is near the Christ is coming, and because of this, we refuse, we refuse, write this down, to let violence and tragedy have the last word on our lives. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been released from our enemies. Now, during the biblical days when Zechariah lived, he thought his enemies were the Roman rule, kings and rulers like Herod that would kill children in order to get ahead. 
That was their context of what they were thinking of in their oppressors. For us, we, we think, when we think about being released, we may understand the enemy as systematic injustices in our society. Things like access to affordable housing, affordable health care. Now, enemies that we also wrestle with might be within our own hearts. We might be bound up in the shackles of the sins that cause us to just sit and dwell in misery. The fears and sins that hold us back from living into a hopeful truth that Jesus provides when we release ourselves from those bondages through the belief in his name. So in this season of hopeful anticipation, I challenge you to step out of the chaos of the Christmas hustle and bustle and into a dwelling place of silence with God where you can pray a simple prayer of release, a release from the fears that separate us from fully knowing that we are loved, accepted, and cherished by a God who sees us as beautiful and beloved. We do not have to do anything to earn that love. We don't have to do anything but honor his name. We no longer have to be bound up in shackles of perfectionism, the fear of failure, the need to control, to submit those fears and sins before the Lord on this altar through the practice of communion gives us a peace that we can only describe as freedom. Freedom. Freedom to finally live into the person we were called to be without any second thoughts or doubts through the name of Jesus Christ. For we serve a faithful God who fulfills the promises made and the time that is necessary for the good of the world. That is where our hope lies. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us say a prayer as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Almighty God, we just give you thanks. We give you thanks for the gift of Jesus Christ for the ability to take time and dwell in your presence in this season of Advent, to remember that though we may be in a season of waiting, and sometimes that waiting feels like it's never ending, that, Lord, you have already come in the form of flesh through Jesus Christ in order to answer and release us from those fears and sins that have bound us. Lord, I just pray for every person in this room. I pray that the things that are on their hearts that are tucked away in those deep, dark corners of their heart, that you would be the light, that you would shine a light and give them peace, give them freedom. Lord, we say this in your most holy name as we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray and saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Standing in the fire
Table.